Hello and welcome to the Where We Left Off podcast. I'm your host, Austin Gall, here with my co-host, Tommy Hanlon. The two of us have been working together for more than 10 years in the music industry, from managing a DIY venue to traveling the Midwest throwing parties. We've met some pretty interesting people along the way. This podcast is dedicated to conversations with artists and road dogs we have formed friendships with and see time and time again. Tommy, we pick up where we left off. First off, welcome to the show. But second off, I got to say, man, I'm having a ton of fun doing this. We've had so many listens on our first four episodes. Uh, and truly, I'm having a blast. Uh, are, are, are you having fun out there? In I guess you're in Omaha this week. So that's a little bit of a change. Yeah, yeah. I'm having a blast on this too, man. Uh, it's been great catching up with people and, you know, socializing more than I have at all this year, really, on this podcast. <laughs> um, it's been nice to to talk to other people than like just the wall and you know my girlfriend so <laughs> yeah absolutely well i'm really excited about uh, our episode today one of my oldest friends uh, in the industry george smith's the drummer of stick to your guns is going to be joining us um you know i've known george for probably almost 10 years at this point and i've seen him blossom and stick to your guns and even before then in his band in snake eater uh somebody who i have a, a great deal of respect for he's an incredible person an incredible drummer he probably hits his drums harder than anybody I've ever met in my entire life. Um, originally from the KC area, or at least that's where I know him from. But uh, Stig is one of my favorite bands. I have a ton of history booking their shows at the Commons and Sokol Underground. Um, we've had some really fun shows over the years. <laughs> some some smaller shows, but some really intimate, like meaningful shows. Um, but yeah, George is also in, pretty involved in terms of being politically active. He has some great perspective on the whole political sphere and what's going on right now. And someone I look to personally constantly for advice honest analysis and uh we're gonna dive into that a little bit today but tommy i mean you were alongside me at those shows back in the day you know when we were kind of booking you know in our in our beginning stages of our music industry career but you've got your own history with stig if if i'm remembering correctly yeah the like you said they were kind of one of those early connections for me as well at the commons um they were kind of one of the first big bands i feel like i ran sound for or at least in our world big band um and it was kind of when I truly had no idea what I was doing. So the thing that stuck out the most was they were just so cool about everything. You know, they, they weren't like, just get out of the way, kid. They were just kind of like, well, maybe, you know, try this. Because <laughs> I was like, just putting mics where I thought they should go and turning knobs how I thought they should turn. But yeah, it, it was bands like that that really, you know, shared their knowledge of what was going on in the DIY space and then also gave me the freedom to mess up and, and figure it out alongside them. Um and like looking back on it now, like knowing that we were all relatively the same age and there wasn't this big disconnect that I thought there was, you know, it's, it makes sense because we were all kind of faking it, but, but yeah. it was, uh, yeah, those, those first days of, of doing shows like bands like Stig would come through and it would just blow my mind how kind they were and how, how, uh, welcoming they were to, to everyone that came to their shows, whether it's me as the sound guy or you know, fans coming up. Um, they're always just the kindest dudes. And I think we actually did an interview before with George before like a Sokol underground show. If it was that story so far show, if I remember right, but that one never got used by the publication. So this time we have our own platform. We can do our <laughs> own thing. We don't have to rely on anybody else getting it out. So let's do it for real this time. <laughs> well, without any further ado, let's just welcome George into the show. How are you doing, man? How's it going? Are you in Colorado now? Correct. Yes, Colorado. Yes. Hello. Happy to be here. Um, yeah, in Colorado, uh, in the, I guess, outside the Denver kind of Boulder area. Um, been here since 2015. Uh, wow. Time flies. Six years. Um, that's insane. 
that yeah, I say that out loud. Yeah, the last the last <laughs> like year hasn't really counted though, so you can kind of maybe just peg it at like four. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, originally from the Kansas City area, uh, it's where I grew up, um, and uh, did did a brief stint in Seattle. Uh, was there for a cup of coffee, and then uh, now I'm here, and uh, now yeah, got a house here. So bury me in the backyard. I'm not leaving. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not a bad place to to one be buried, or two actually spend your time. So it's <laughs> you're yeah, in a good nice. spot. But uh, well, I'm not even going to ask any quarantine questions because honestly, who the hell gives a shit at this point? But uh, I mean, what have you been working on recently? Anything fun? I know you're currently getting your degree and kind of working your way through the college steps. What's that? What's that been like through quarantine? Uh, you know, it's been, uh, it's honestly been great. Uh, I'm extremely glad that I committed to it. Um, cause, uh, so <clears throat> there was a minute where it was in 2018. Uh, it was the first time Stig had ever had to cancel any shows. Uh, and Jesse's voice just went kaput. It was just fucked. Uh, and it was like, really scary for all of us uh kind of kind of dealing with that precarity because you know the wheel never stopped um (laughs) the wheel the wheel has been permanently fucking eviscerated with the quarantine now so (laughs) the wheel never existed uh as far as the pandemic is concerned but at that time uh so 2018 that would have been 10 years of me being in stig right and the wheel never stopped. We never stopped touring. It was always a solid six to eight months of touring. And it was only a week's worth of shows that we had canceled. But there was like a part of all of us that were like, oh, my God, like, is this over? You know, uh, especially because this was like it was a physical ailment, um, you know, because at the time, like Jesse was going to ENT doctors and they were finding like nodules in his throat and everything. And that's like. I'm not a singer and I don't understand the intricacies of that, but that's sometimes like a death knell for, uh, for, for singers, especially if, you know, you're barking into a microphone every night, like we are, or like he is. Uh, and so there was a part of me that, uh, got really, really worried and really concerned. And so I immediately just said, okay, you know what, I'm going to get re-enrolled in school and I'm going to get the ball rolling on that. Cause I have my associate's degree. Uh, and I had gotten that online while I was touring in Stig. I was taking online classes. I was doing like two a semester and just kind of chipping away at it. And then the irony is that when I did get the degree, it's when like we got a really solid footing with the band and it became like, you know, a quote unquote big emphasis on the scare quotes here, but a quote unquote career. Uh, and so I was like, oh, I'll never use this degree. Like throw it in the garbage. <laughs> like, right, right. I, I don't need that thing. And then, you know, in 2018, I was like, holy fuck, I'm so glad I have like all my gen eds done. So I can like <laughs> hop yeah. in. Dude, so I can like hop into the degree process, you know, dude, gen, um, gen eds literally just it was I loved being in college. I loved my time in college, but gen eds sucked the life out of me. I hated it. They were they were easy, but it was just the most mind numbing useless information that i never i mean like and half of the information was wrong you know what i mean like in a lot of my government classes like i had like all these like just like boomer teachers that had no sense of reality you know what i mean it was it was just a waste of time oh that's uh that's still a theme in the undergrad courses um so i so i've heard on on the against the mall podcast it seems like you're having a hell of a time um but i what i will say is uh i like i was so glad to have them completed and i was going to start um we were going to do, we had the, the six week tour in Europe that was going to be after this kind of scare. And we're like, okay, well, we're going to go and do that. And if a weekend 
that's just not a thing anymore and Jesse's voice is really hurting and it's like physically hurting his body, we're going to have to retool our entire approach to touring or we're going to have to figure something out. Uh, and the tour went fine and it was great. And I was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, fuck it. I'm never going to go back to school. Then, yeah, I don't need that. And, <laughs> uh, you know, famous last words, here I am, I'm back in school. Uh, but thankfully I had already filled out like all of my information and I had submitted like all the necessary transcripts to the university of Denver, Colorado or university of Colorado, Denver. Uh, it's the, it's the Denver chapter of the sure. university of Colorado, whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, yeah, like I think around like April or May, I had like already resigned myself to being like, okay, like I'm not going on tour this year. And so there was this like kind of couple month period where like I was definitely kind of like kind of despondent, uh, I guess, where I'm like, yeah, really feel aimless in life. Uh, and then I saw that Joel from the Amity Affliction were in this tw Twitter DM uh, and he's like, yeah, I'm going back to law school. And I was like, well, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> so, right, right. So, yeah. So I uh, within the week I re-enrolled and here I am. What are you studying? Uh, political science. Uh, nice. So I'm getting my yeah, getting my undergrad in political science, um, which uh, is uh, really interesting. Um, you know, it's <laughs> there's there's times where I'm like, am I going to like Hogwarts here, and is this not a real degree, <laughs> or like, am uh, is this something that's smart? And I I, I do like um, political science because it kind of is like an interdisciplinary thing where you know you can pull from like history and politics and sociology. Uh, and, uh, I, I feel like, um, political science is like a good synthesis of that. Uh, and it like sounds respectable, you know, when, sure, <laughs> when you're sure, talking right, to people right. like, Oh, I'm studying political science. You know, it, it gives me like a d degree of credibility or whatever. You shorten so. it up to poli side. It makes you sound even more badass. Yeah. 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 Poli -sci <laughs> major. <laughs> it's always so fun to catch up, man. I mean, it, feel, it feels like it's been forever, but it's also like super fun to see people from the Midwest find their place in hardcore too, you know? Because, it, I mean, it's not often that bands from this area <clears throat> get super big or, you know, people get out of this area and join bands that are already like have that, you know, some of that fame in place. But I was a huge Snake Eater fan. <laughs> I was a huge Warp Tour. Yeah. Yeah. Warp Tour 2008. <laughs> yes. Huge fan. <laughs> it was fortunate enough to see them a couple of times at Warp Tour. And I think you guys played a couple of shows with Stig um, back yep. in like the El Torian days at in Kansas City, which is an old legacy venue there, but I just want to make sure for the record, there's no more Snake Eater reunions in the future. In the future, oh correct. God, I wish. Like, uh, you know, me and the singer, like, uh, we still talk like on a date, like, uh, like maybe on like a like an every other day basis. We're we're constantly talking with each other, uh, just about whatever bullshit. Um, and I, I truly, legitimately, I do miss. Uh, Snake Eater. I do miss that band, and I miss hanging out with my best friends. And I, I mean, I miss Kansas City. I long. I'm extremely nostalgic for Kansas City. So uh, it's not going to happen. But uh, I, I wish it would happen. Um, the biggest reason it's not going to happen is because the guy who wrote all the music, um, like, <laughs> fell prey to a pyramid scheme, and he went like fully off the deep end. It's like a. It's honestly that's a podcast in and of itself. Um, but <laughs> I faintly remember you mentioning that to me a couple of years ago, and I could never, I could never put the pieces together on what happened. But yeah, maybe, maybe that's a whole different podcast in itself. Maybe an against them all podcast. You know, I mean, it could be an idea for an episode. But uh, yeah, yeah, the exploration of Amway and the uh, DeVos family. Oh um, it's God. it's all tied up together. <laughs> I'm serious. Well, every it's it's crazy now that I live in St. Louis. I mean, you talk about 
Kansas City and missing Kansas City all the time. Every time, I mean, me and Tommy have personally done the drive from St. Louis to Omaha about 600 times over the last couple of years doing these emo night parties and shit like that. But um, every time I drive past Lake, like the Lake Lotwana, like exit, yeah, I'm like Lake George, George. Yep. <laughs> oh, that's my shit. exit. Oh, I mean, man. Did, I mean, did you enjoy growing up in like the Midwest hardcore scene, like specifically Kansas City? I mean, being from Omaha, we always would travel to either Des Moines or Kansas City. So I always looked at like those two scenes as like the epicenter of like hardcore music and like the Midwest. I mean, what was your experience growing up in Kansas City with hardcore? Uh, in relation to hardcore, uh, I fucking loved it uh, in Kansas City. Um, I started going to shows at the Altorion or at the Spitfire when I was about 13. So this would have been like 2003. And, um, dude, the Eltorion was fucking lit. It was insane. Yeah, that uh, was nuts. Yeah, absolutely fucking crazy in its heyday. Um, it's funny, like, talking with, like, Chris and Josh in my band, um, when I, I talk about, like, Kansas City back in the heyday, um, back in the salad days or whatever, uh, they're like, oh, yeah, we used to get routing, and it would be like, oh, Kansas City? That show will be one of the best shows of the tour, and it's just hilarious now because like if we get tour routing where it's like lawrence is on there we're like that's a dice roll we'll see how that goes you know yeah (laughs) things have have really changed in those areas especially since we were kids man i mean it's been like there's been waves of it you know back with back in like back when you joined stick to your guns i mean there was like another big wave and then it kind of just like fell off again but yeah and and that, what, that's no that's no disrespect to like the people who are organizing shows right now or like putting not. them on or anything like that um and we like actually ironically i feel like the last three years our shows in lawrence have been fucking awesome uh especially at the bottleneck and even at the oh, granada yes. like you know if it's not like as full as you can get that place you know because we're not fucking i don't know bring me the horizon or whatever the fuck but. yeah we i think i did i did the pure noise tour whatever we whatever last time the pure noise tour played the or the bottleneck i think we were there yeah and it was packed wall to wall so crazy shit man like it's it's always so yeah it's definitely a roll of the dice these days like it's not just there it's pretty much like everywhere in the midwest it's like yeah you're playing omaha well good luck it's a it's a tuesday night have fun yeah i i I think it's in uh american hardcore i can't remember it's been years since i've watched it but uh someone talks about booking shows in the midwest and it's like you're in the desert and you have a shovel and you're just trying to find water and you're just digging these holes and you don't know if you're going to hit it kind of thing. And I heard that metaphor when I was like, when I was like younger and I was like, Oh boy, is that not the truth? <laughs> yeah, fucking real. <laughs> but every once in a while you hit a well and it's fucking, you know, you find an oasis and it's amazing. But, right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I specifically remember meeting you shortly after you joined the band. I can never really pinpoint how we met or where we met, but there was a moment that stuck out in my mind as to when I met you and I was kind of reflecting on it this week. Uh, it was when I joined Close Your Eyes on a stick tight tour in 2011 for like a, a week and a half or something. I was okay. away from I was I was away from home for the first time. I was really fucking nervous. Uh, I met up. I think I met up with the tour at the Masquerade in Atlanta, and okay. uh, I was like this really weird young kid on this tour, extremely out of place. It definitely fucking showed. But the first night that we were there, I was sitting out back with you and uh, with with the Close Your Eyes dudes, and you and Chris came out back, and Jesse casually struck up conversation with me made me feel super at home ease all of my nervousness about being on the road told me like i remember like jesse looked at me he's like it's gonna be okay man you're gonna have a blast uh i, I mean from that point on i always really respected you guys 
uh, you know, since that moment, you know, it really showed me how genuine of a group of dudes you guys were. But I want to ask, what do you remember about that keep that Keepers of the Faith tour? Truly one of the best tours I think I've done to date. I mean, it was a lot of uh, it was a lot of craziness. I think I did like the Florida leg of that tour. So like it was a bunch of like really violent shows. I It sticks out in my mind because it was like the first tour I ever went on. But do you have any memories from that tour? Uh, we have lots of memories from the stick tight tour. Um, I, so first, first I want to preface it. it. This is so funny that we're talking about this. So the tour was called stick tight, right? All the ad mats, all the press releases has said yeah. like, this is the stick tight tour. And years down the line, when I feel like, you know, it was a yearly occurrence where we're on tour with terror once or twice a year, you know, we're going on tour with terror and we would always reference like, yeah, that was on stick tight. And Scott would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, that's your tour. You named the tour. And he goes, I didn't name the tour. And so now it's been this running joke between stick to your guns and terror. Like, oh, this is stick tight 12 or this is stick tight like 13. And then I talk about like stick tight BC, which was, you know, stick tight tours before stick tight happened. I don't know. We have this whole like mythology built around stick tight as like a tour. It's hilarious. That's so funny. Um, But that tour, um, it was... Uh, an amazing tour. I liken it similarly to like the first time Terror took us to Europe um, because it was a fucking long tour. It was like a two month tour. It started yeah. the first week of April and it ended the first week of July. A literal um, full US tour with like every oh, single California date you could do, every single South Florida Dakota. date. Yeah. Crazy yeah. shit. <laughs> we played South Dakota and West Virginia. You know, like I'm, we almost like played every state within the continental United States. Fucking insane. Um, and, uh, learned a lot on that tour, learned a lot about myself on that tour, um, learned a lot, uh, about like our band on that tour. Uh, we were in the sandwich between Trapped Under Ice and Terror, which we had been in before in Europe. Uh, and that's not a fun sandwich to be in between, um, because at the time Trapped Under Ice is the most hyped band in the world. Uh, it, this is, uh, like, uh, like maybe like a, like around a year before Big Kiss Goodnight really comes out, uh, but Secrets of the World is out. You know, Stay Cold is still hot. Everyone fucking loves it. Terror just put out the greatest hardcore record of all time, in my opinion, with Keepers of the Faith. Uh, and you know, here's our band who really hadn't found our like footing yet. We, I, I feel like we were like we hadn't found like what we wanted Stick to Your Guns to be because we had ho- the Hope Division that it came out in 2010, Stick Tight is in 2011. And the releasing of the Hope Division was like a course correction for us. And I felt like we were on track and we knew what we wanted to do. Um, But by the time it got to Stick Tight, it was like, maybe we're unsure of the band that we want to be still. Uh, A bit of like this, uh, like this creeping identity crisis that would always kind of come in uh, and and really like uh, shake us of our confidence, you know? Um, and, uh, that's no one's fault, but our own, uh, that's our own anxieties and insecurities. Um, but you know, trapped under ice would play and it's like, Oh, Metallica just played. That was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Like people were <laughs> sacrificing their bodies. I remember, for that set. yeah, I remember in Florida specifically at the bring it back to the kids fest, there were trash cans flying off the stage. <clears throat> some, yes. of the cra- some of the craziest shows that I, in my like 15 years of going to shows that I've ever witnessed in my life. Yes. And that, okay, so this bringing back to the kids festival is the perfect metaphor for like the, the, the kind of like, I guess, identity crisis that our band was grappling with where there's two stages, right? There's the small stage and the big, 
the big stage, you know, the, the headlining bar- with stage. With the barricade. Yeah, with the barricade and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, Terror is like, we're not playing the big stage. Put us on the fucking small stage. I don't care how this fucks up the schedule, which is something I feel like we always said that we wanted to do and we were telling people, but then like our agent at the time would be like, well, you got negotiated for this, you know? And it's like, we, we didn't learn how to say, no, this is what we want. Uh, and this is actually similar to that common show that you booked for us. Um, sim- uh, actually, ironically, Close Your Eyes was also on that show. But uh, so that was an off day on the tour for us, right? And then yep. we find out the rest of the tour package is playing the show in Nebraska. And we're like, why are we not on this show? What, <laughs> yeah. what, what is this? What, you know, and like, I mean, we're just a bunch of fucking idiots. Like <laughs> to what you were saying, we're like, uh, it's like, I'm taking the Indiana Jones line here. I'm, I'm making this up as I go along. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck I'm doing. So like, you know, I call our agent at the time and I'm, I'm saying like, why is there a show where the entire tour package is playing it and we're not playing it? And they're like, well, uh, it, it didn't uh, fit like, you know, what we're tr- like the, what we're trying to like do for your band or, you know, get your numbers. Translation, in. translation. It didn't make me money. <laughs> right. Exactly. It didn't make me money. Yeah. It didn't make me money or it was going to look bad or whatever. And so we are like, no, we're playing the show. And they're like, well, let me negotiate. Let me renegotiate a deal. It's like, I don't care what the deal is. Put us on the show. Uh, and I remember like we were like, even like when we were trying to settle the show at the end, there was like this weird thing where everyone was trying to like figure out what was going on. I'm like, I don't care about the money. I do not care. Yeah, George, (laughs) George, I have to tell you, dude, that is one. It's one of the craziest things that I have ever seen settling a show in my life. And I've settled a ton of shows, like a a bunch of probably like three a night while I was in college for four years. That was the most selfless I've ever seen anybody be in a position like that. And it, it stuck with me, man. Like I've to this day, one, I've never had anybody turn away money I, I guess what i'm trying to say is it really sold me on you as a person because i i you came upstairs and you were like look i don't really care what happens with all this money i just want everybody to get paid equally and you were eating a bag of chips you kicked your feet up on the table and looked at dylan richter from for the fallen dreams is like here's your money <laughs> it was what? the funniest thing i've ever seen in my life and if we need to edit that out i will but it's so stuck with me well, I think what was the funniest part, and I like I'll mention, uh, I guess I can mention Dylan by name of this, but it's like Dylan was saying like, well, this is what we were supposed to get paid. And I'm like, yes, and I'm handing you more, Dylan. <laughs> and and like he was like arguing with me about like, well, this is what the contract said. And I was like, and I, I, there was like this disconnect where I'm like, fuck the contract. Here is more money than you were supposed to get. And everyone should get more money. And I don't care if that means it comes out of Stig's pocket. I like, I literally do not care. And that was the, like kind of the genesis of us understanding like, okay, we can push back against our agent. Um, Cause there is this misconception that like bands uh, or artists are like fully in control of all their labor and fully in control of everything that they do. And it really is crazy how you are susceptible to so much peer pressuring uh, and, uh, I guess like mystification, you know, it's almost like a, like, it's like someone with like an economics degree telling, oh, it's too complicated. You wouldn't understand it, you know? Uh, and we get told that stuff all the time. So it's like, okay, New England Metal and Hardcore Fest, when you got to play the big stage, it's like, we only want to play the small stage. It's like, <laughs> right. well, you're playing the big stage. Uh, and for years I felt like we could not say no to people. And that show at the commons and like 
much of stick tight was us learning like, hey, we've got to say absolutely fucking no to some of these things. Um, and it really did help us learn and grow as a band. And so I look back on stick tight very fondly. We played some fucking rough shows for us that were sold the fuck out, but no one was there to see us. Uh, the first night on that tour, we sold $0 in merchandise. Um, zero, that's zero. Uh, not like, oh, we sold one shirt. It's like, no, we sold no shirts and mind you stick to your guns had been a band with three full-length releases at that point so you gotta like think law of averages is gonna at least get one fan out there that's gonna buy a shirt i remember Uh, the tour being super (laughs) difficult for everybody too because like like you said i mean you're sandwiched in between trapped under ice and tear two like militant hardcore bands you know what i mean and then you had close your eyes opening the show so like some of these people would come out and be like the fuck is this shit <laughs> you know what i mean like, yeah yeah truly just a, a mind blower of a of a lineup that just didn't make any sense but i mean it, the shows were great though but yeah well and there's one more show though that we played just to just to finish off on this it's uh we played it at mohawk's place uh in syracuse no, not in Syracuse. Uh, Mohawks. Oh, I think it's in Buffalo. Yeah, I think it's in Buffalo. Um, and uh, it is like another mythologized show for Stick to Your Guns where we say like, oh yeah, this is going to be a Mohawks place where the room is packed and no one gives a shit that you're playing. <laughs> so there's two shows for Stick to Your Guns, two types of shows. It's the show where no one comes or the show where everyone comes and no one gives a fuck about you. And that's the Mohawks <laughs> place show. <laughs> You gotta just, you know, hope for the balance between the two, right? Yeah, you always wanna you you wanna find the balance between the two. That sweet spot. <laughs> um, so you were kind of talking about it, like when you joined Stig, that was kind of like an identifying record for for the band in terms of sound. Um, really changed from comes from the heart, and the Hope Division was the first record you were part of with Stig, right? So mm-hmm. how has the writing child style changed, like since that record? Obviously, Josh James is part of the band now, so that adds like a new dynamic. But how do you think the band has progressed since then? And even album by album, there's been, what, three, two, three releases since then? Yeah, so we had the Hope Division. We had Diamond, Diamond. Disobedient, Disobedient, Better Ash from Dust, True View. Oh, Better Ash from Dust. And, well, the new record um, that has been on ice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, really? Jeez. Uh, Yeah, it's uh, actually similar to Disobedient, where Disobedient sat on ice for an entire calendar year before it came out uh, because of some scheduling. Uh, So, uh, yeah, um, this isn't a scoop because we've been talking about it on the podcast, but uh, the the record's been done uh, since February um, of last year. And oh, it's, it's, it's February, 2021. So, um, yeah, TBD on that. Uh, but you know, it's funny, uh, a lot of our process is still the same. Um, I feel like the biggest change now is that we love working with uh, a producer, um, because they can be this kind of neutral arbiter. Well, not neutral because they have their own opinions and everything, but they, they, they can be this like intermediary party that comes in and tells you like, why is this song five minutes? And 
why is the verse <laughs> this long and this part makes no sense? And we're like, okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. You know, someone to bring us back down to earth. Um, and I love that about it. Um, especially if it's like a, an extremely gifted producer, like the last couple ones that we've worked with, um, Derek Hoffman, uh, we worked with on better Ash than dust and Drew view and, uh, drew folk. We just worked with on our new record. Um, and, uh, they're, they're such a godsend in really helping us. Um, cause usually the process is that Chris and Josh write separately and together. And then Jesse comes in too, but Chris is like the demo God. Uh, and so he can put together like, you know, things that sound like, Oh, did, you could actually release this if you put vocals on it and it would sound better than like a majority of what you do here. Uh, and it's all just like program drums and him recording with an axe effects or whatever. And so Chris just like goes for the gold there, really tries to lay it out. And Chris is like, and Chris, um, Chris and Josh, uh, Chris especially, because like Chris is like, he's dedicated to the craft of like songwriting now. Uh, I, I love it. It's, it's like, he's almost like a, like a wine connoisseur, you know, he's like chasing that, like, how do I write the perfect song, you know? And he's like listening to the Song Exploder podcast and he wants to know about people's processes and everything. Um, and it's, re- it's really, uh, it's really cool to watch. I, I love watching people uh, kind of chase that goal. Um, uh, whether it be anything, you know, songwriting or, you know, getting better in an instrument or whatever. Um, but, uh, and Josh is like, Josh is pure visceral emotion. You know, Josh doesn't necessarily know uh, all the, all the tricks of the trade in terms of like how to lay it out in logic and stuff like that. But he's like, I know I need this beat here and here's the riff, you know? Uh, and that's why it's really good with Chris. Cause Chris, uh, in, I guess pairing Chris and Josh together because Chris takes a very cerebral approach to it uh, now especially uh, and Josh is like again kind of that fire uh, and so when you get the two of them working together symbiotically it produces like really really cool and interesting songs especially because they have their own like idiosyncrasies and their own like kind of flavors you know to add to everything but they get together uh, they demo out a bunch of shit Jesse will come in, he'll demo out some stuff. He'll say like, okay, well, if we switch it to this key or this key or whatever, it's going to help me with my voice. I have a melody idea for this, that, and the other. Um, And then from there, it really is just kind of generic songwriting stuff. The only thing that we don't do, like other bands, uh, I guess, is because we're kind of split geographically uh, across the world now, um, (laughs) uh, we're, we're not running through the beta tests trying to play the songs. You know, it's more so like we get it, to where we want it and then you go into the studio and that's the first time you're really playing it in front of other people yeah man so you guys just announced a new four song ep just released the new amber single um what's it like you know having some of these new songs or not new songs some of these old songs have a new life and have a new sound um were you involved in that process i know obviously unplugged not <laughs> <Yes. laughs> I, I was involved in the process of choosing the cover song uh gotcha. <laughs> um it's like uh, i get referred to as like the stig historian and so like jesse hit jesse hit me up and he goes what songs am i doing for this uh and I, <laughs> i'm like okay well you should do these songs these are the ones that we haven't done acoustically these are the ones that i've heard you like do acoustic renditions of, you know, kind of thing. And he goes, and what song am I covering? I'm like, obviously you're covering Take On Me. And he's like, oh, 
duh. Um, we have a thing now where take on me is like our, uh, like the song that we play before we go on stage. Um, because it pops Euro crowds so hard, they go fucking <laughs> apeshit for it. Uh, and so it like, it sets the perfect mood for you to go on stage. That's uh, so we're like, yeah, obviously that's going to be the one that you do. Uh, so that is the extent of my role in any of this new EP. Uh, Jesse handled everything else. Uh, and, you know, Jesse is a savant. He can do literally anything. If an instrument was invented yesterday, he would be a master of it by the end of the week. Um, he's truly an unbelievable musician. Uh, and uh, all, all the renditions are incredible. And no one gave him notes. It's carte blanche, you do what you do. And he turned it in. And we said, yep, that's about right. <laughs> That's a pretty incredible skill to have, but it's a it's a good segue into my next question, which is about Europe. Stig's following in Europe is fucking insane. Like it's it's just crazy. Um, it's such a head turner for me when bands from the states blow up in Europe. I mean, but you guys <clears throat> obviously have done really well the, the last decade, at least. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, w- with the majority of the, of that success, the major success coming the last couple of years prior to the pandemic spoiling all the fun. You guys were playing some of your biggest headlining shows to date in Europe. Can you talk about? A little bit what it's been like um building a successful career for stig in europe while living on the complete opposite side of the world yeah it's uh it's been really really interesting um the first time we well the first time i went to europe uh jet there was one stig tour before kind of the modern stig went to europe um and the first time i went was again that terror tour seven weeks we went everywhere um and uh it was fucking brutal um, no one gave a shit about our band, uh, and played some of the worst shows of my life on that tour for sure. Uh, and again, it's a learning experience. You learn a lot. Uh, and so it was it, and this is, I guess the, um, this is like the fork in the road that most bands are presented with. Um, because what will usually happen is a band will blow up in the States, um, and they'll start doing really well for themselves and they'll forget that there was this like prelude to them getting to that point where they had to grind and eat shit for years, you know? And they only remember like now my band's big and they forget that there was this like seven year, five to seven year period where it was just for fun and we were in high school and it was okay if we didn't make any money, you know? And then all of a sudden now your band's established and you're doing well and they're like, okay, and now we're going to go to Europe and they expect the same success without realizing you're starting over. You might have some advantages now, you know, wh- whether it be like you're plugged in or connected with like media or agents or, or, or what have you. Right. Um, but or supporting really, on like a good tour or something like that. Yeah, 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 exactly. But you are starting over. And um, it's not like I, I know each state in America has its own culture and its own people and stuff like that. But it really is this like homogenized culture here in America, you know. Uh, that is not the case in Europe. And you will learn quickly that, uh, you know, country to country, city to city, even within, you know, even within those countries, there are different cultures and different people and they like different things. And that's really hard for Americans to wrap their heads around. Uh, so, you know, you'll even get to the point where it's like, okay, now we're doing well in Germany. Like we can draw 500 kids in Germany and then you will go to Italy and there will be four to five kids who show up for a show where you play at two in the morning and it's awful. Uh, but then you're like, okay, I, now we need to get our reps in here. You know, it's, it really is kind of like a weight room, you know? 
Uh, and there's obviously the element of like, do people like you or not? <laughs> that's, right. that's, that's the first big hurdle. But, you know, once you get past that first hurdle, you know, it's about getting your reps in and getting in front of people and playing and showing people what you're capable of, you know, and it's the same process here in the States. Uh, but people really forget about that. And so Stig started just a long slog. You know, this is not a preordained thing. This is not something that's like providence or like we're not, it wasn't guaranteed to us. Uh, it took, I mean, it took 10 years, uh, 11 years actually. Um, and uh, to get to the point where we did play those shows last year, um, which, I mean, talk about the swiftest kick in the dick um, to play yeah. those shows where it's, uh, you know, not to blow smoke up my own ass or pump my own tires here, but it's like, no, I guess you know, yourself we, up, man. It's, it's, well, the, it's the fucking <laughs> truth. It's, I mean, you guys were, I mean, I was watching videos even from 2017, 18 of with full force and you guys, yeah. you guys were playing in front of a, a fuckload of people. Like, so yeah. yeah, talk about a swift kick in the balls, man. That's it's, it's a gut well, to say the very, yeah. Least. To hit that kind of like career apogee, you know, um, where we draw 2,000 people um, for our show. You know, there was support on there that obviously helped, uh, you know, draw that in. Lionheart, D's Nuts, Rotting Out, you know, they, they clearly added to the draw. But the fact that we headline shows that we could draw 2,000 people at, it was, uh, it was just a real thing for us. Um, and I felt like it was like kind of uh, catapulting us to that next level, uh, which I kind of felt like we were already sort of, uh, I guess, functioning at that level in Europe. Um, like we were a quote unquote real band um, where, you know, it's like we're now like at headlining festivals and, uh, you know, we are kind of etching our way into that, like, um, upper echelon on the ad mat, you know, where yeah, our name right. is like appearing next to like, you know, fucking Grammy winners and shit like that. Um, sure. you know, and for us, like a bunch of fucking idiots, we're like, this isn't real. This is insane. I'm playing Pokemon cards in, in my <laughs> backstage room. You know, I, ju I just learned how to use like a fucking music interface for the first time, you know, kind of thing like that. But, um, so it felt really good to get that validation. Um, and then obviously the pandemic happened, yeah. so that's on pause right now, but yeah, we'll see where it goes. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. A question posed to both of you, because both of you do international touring quite a bit. <clears throat> what is your favorite festival that you've played in mainland Europe? Tommy, Tommy, you first. I actually haven't played in it. We didn't get to do any festivals in mainland. We only played slam dunk in the UK, which was obviously a blast for, we did two days of that, but yeah, last summer we didn't really do any Oh, festivals well, this summer was supposed to be wrong. like the festival or i guess 2020 was supposed to be the festival summer yeah, and fuck. so again well it's all on pause and we'll see what happens all right george you, what's yours then uh you know probably a laundry list here uh Whiffle force obviously definitely stands out yeah that's a bucket uh, list for me yeah any of the empiricon fests um those are usually in april um it's kind of like the spring festival season but i love those uh, love the folks at Empiricon. They really take care of us. Um, you know, uh, I, I really like the random ones that we play. Um, they're like, I swear to God, there will be two to three fests that we play on a festival run that we will never play that fest again. We don't know anything about it. Sometimes we are the only metal band or the only hardcore band on that festival. Uh, but it's just so fun. Uh, like, I don't know. The festival season is my favorite time. Uh, it's my favorite time to tour. Um, 
and there, there's so many that come to like that like i'm obviously blanking on right now that now that i'm on the spot but um i i'll say all of them uh they're <laughs> it's it's a great i don't know it's such just a fun miss, miss the circuit as a whole we'll just chalk yeah. it up to that yeah exactly but uh i want to transition here a little bit talk about politics for just a minute because you've always been someone that i've looked to for advice i've i've dm'd you on twitter a bajillion times asking for your advice i've gotten honest advice and i've really admired your dedication to the causes that you really put your time into you know not not only just like in the last like four years, but <clears throat> for the last like decade, you know, you guys have put out a ton of songs that have bunched that have backed a bunch of social causes. But I mean, first off, I really enjoyed listening to the Against the Mall podcast. You're a great host. The conversations are fucking amazing. I don't think I've ever laughed as hard as I did during the poop episode <laughs> of the podcast. Actually, me and Tommy listened to that together. So, but I digressed. But um, the podcast has been a great resource for those wanting to get more politically active. Uh, I think especially people from the hardcore scene can really approach the podcast um, as like a way to learn. And it's 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 in a it's in a really relaxed environment. So it, I think it for me it really was a great resource. But can we expect more episodes uh, this year, or are you guys kind of taking a break on it? You know, I would love to do more episodes. Um, it's, you know, it really is kind of like on my time. Uh, so if anyone's fucking up, it's me. Uh, I'm, I'm the one dropping the ball. Um, there was like a minute uh, last year uh, after the summer. Uh, and I think it was like right when I kind of like re-enrolled in school. Uh, and uh, I was getting my bearings with that, and I got like I got really busy with that, and so I was bogged down with all of that. But then I like I was kind of struggling with like how like how do I want to take what direction do I want to take the podcast in? You know how I'm like topics that I was going to cover because it was supposed to be this like self-sustaining self-generating kind of thing where we'd go back on tour and there'd be more to talk about, you know, but now I was conducting all these interviews like this, um, you know, right. with everybody else. Um, and, uh, I, I felt alienated from like my band and from music and all my peers, um, you know, because I'm living this like kind of atomized existence, uh, in the quarantine. Um, so, uh, yeah, definitely was really struggling with, uh, kind of working through that, but um, I want to. I definitely want to do more episodes. Uh, who knows? It might not be uh, related anything to the band anymore. And it might just be strictly <laughs> us talking about current events at this point. Because, I mean, maybe I'm like, like what? Stick to your guns hasn't done anything in like a year, you know? So I can like, we can go down the line of like fucking past tours that we've done. And th those episodes are always fun. But I, I don't know. It's, I, it's something I'm kind of grappling with or trying to trying to trying to figure out but i definitely do want to do more episodes yeah absolutely i mean i know i know you did some canvassing for uh bernie somewhere i can't remember where i saw that but uh yeah i mean did you feel called to help bernie in his primary efforts in this last primary i mean it, it there was i mean this last election cycle was so fucking insane and to see people that i admire get involved <clears throat> was nothing short of aspiring and i think it it really drove me to get myself more involved but you know what was that experience like and you know how did you how did you i guess get yourself to the point where you could make time to do all this canvassing for bernie um yeah great question so i guess to preface all of this uh, I don't think that like anything that I did canvassing for Bernie is like 
some monumental thing. Sure. Uh, right. Like, no, I, no, I, no. I have no like illusions or pretenses about that. I don't think that, uh, you know, what I did with the Bernie campaign, um, you know, absolves me from any political activity, you know, for, you know, an extended amount of time because I knocked on some doors. Absolutely. Um, and I, I also don't want to glorify um, or glamorize what I did for the Bernie campaign or what anyone did in working with the Bernie campaign, which is really just the process of knocking on doors, seeing if people were going to vote, calling people, stuff like yeah, that. Um, you know, it's not that that is important work in the realm of, I guess, kind of like electoral politics, but you know, we're not feeding people. We're not putting food in people's mouths. We're not taking care of like people's everyday needs. Um, we're not really like addressing anything like on a material level. Um, it's kind of like a different sort of, uh, tactic or, uh, maneuvering. So I, uh, yeah, I did find time to go canvas, uh, for the Bernie campaign in Vegas. Um, and, uh, I, uh, I really bought wholesale into thinking like, holy shit, this guy has a chance of winning. Um, and, uh, you know, for all of Bernie's faults, for his myriad faults, um, uh, in terms of like his own politics, uh, I had no illusions in thinking that like we were going to get Bernie elected and like it's going to be 1917 up in this bitch and, <laughs> you know, it's the right. great October again and here we go. You know, we're building communism, buds. Uh, <laughs> like I, that's not the line right, that I right. took. For me, it was like if we can wedge a candidate like this into this political structure and expose the contradictions uh, within the Democratic Party, within the American political system, then we can politicize and radicalize more people. And that's always the line that I took with Bernie. It's not that I thought that he was going to get in and day one, executive order, we all have health care. That's not the case. It was day one, he's going to expose the fight to people and he's going to show people what is going to be necessary. Um, so it was more of like a way of, uh, I guess, kind of opening up some people's third eyes, uh, you know, who hadn't come around to the idea of like, yeah, you're going to need to build power outside of Washington or build power outside of these political structures to pressure these political structures to give you what you want, right. um, kind of thing like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so that is where I fell on that. And, you know, Bernie really helped me. I, I, I in 2016, uh, the Bernie campaign, not Bernie specifically, but like the Bernie campaign in 2016 really helped uh, give me a more coherent like political ideology because I, I definitely kind of felt aimless, um, you know, post-Occupy, post-Arab Spring, post-Standing Rock, post-Ferguson. I'm like, what do I believe, you know? Uh, like, how do I synthesize this? How do I think about this? I didn't have the tools, you know? And it started with like, you know, little baby stuff, um, but it, it really, uh, it was the seeds, um, that kind of planted into like a, you know, a growing, uh, and, and more coherent and focused type of, uh, political thought. So this is all a long-winded explanation of me trying to <laughs> preface all this. Sorry, but no, it, it, I, it's, this is all good stuff. man. <laughs> I feel like it's important to lay that, to, to lay that groundwork. You know, it's not that I thought like, oh, I'm going to fly to Vegas and I'm Che Guevara and I'm right. starting the revolution. You know, <laughs> it was, it was more so like, oh, okay. Like he had won Iowa, he had won New Hampshire. And I was like, holy fucking shit. It's happening. The ball is rolling. And so me and my buddy Jordan, um, decided to get a room out in Vegas and we were going to go out there and we were going to knock on doors and canvas. And we did for a couple of days. 
Uh, it was me, Jordan, uh, Justin Jackson, the, uh, the, the, the Chargers football player, uh, who is, yeah. And it was us like literally in apartment complexes, knocking on doors, uh, and just having fun hanging out with each other, but, you know, trying to get people out to vote, reminding them of where like their caucus site is and everything. Sure. Uh, and then I went to the strip caucus that took place day of, uh, and watched Bernie fucking sweep the caucus. Uh, and thought like, oh my God, like it's actually happening. This dude's going to get elected. Holy fucking shit. This is going to fundamentally change like politics here in the United States. Uh, and then the world, uh, absolutely took a shit all over my face, uh, and fuck me for everything. I can be happy. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that and sh- shit came right back down to fucking earth pretty fucking quick there. But, uh, I mean, one thing that you've said over and over again, and to me directly, which really had an impact on me is that one day of voting every day two years or four years if that's the extent of your political action then you're seriously fucking up i mean specifically i messaged you one day close to the election i said yeah and you said that i mean mutual aid can do someone can do way more for somebody right now than voting does and it's that's always stuck with me and you know since i've tried to like do my best in donating money or raw materials or donating my time to fill cars with food um, the term mutual aid was a, was a new word for me. So for people listening out there who are just kind of diving into this, I mean, can you briefly explain what that term really means in, you know, in today's society? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm not uh, an expert by any means. So take take what I say with a grain of salt here. Uh, you know, we're all learning together. Um, you know, Absolutely. I'm not... I'm not, uh, you know, some uh, accredited political theorist, <laughs> but hey, you've uh, got though. your degree here, so you could yeah. be but, around uh, the corner. You will be, <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, mutual aid to me, um, it's it's a it's a it's a fancy way of just you know dressing up, taking care of one another. You know, it's it's kind of this golden rule, do unto others kind of thing. Um, but it's uh, it's built around uh, a foundation of like reciprocity. You know. Um, and, uh, I mean, I got this quote pulled up, uh, like it's, uh, I guess the term mutual aid is, uh, really attributed to this guy, Peter Kropotkin, uh, who, uh, was this Russian anarchist. Um, and he wrote a book called mutual aid, uh, about like trying to highlight all these, um, instances in nature where you see how animals are social beings and they want to help each other. You know, it like the state of nature is not this, uh, war of all against all where only the strong survive, you know, kind of this like social Darwinist outlook. He was trying to posit that like, no, when you really start to analyze this, you start to see that like it's built on cooperation and mutual understanding and they build these ecosystems that work together. Right. And so, kind of building off that idea he's got this quote where he says um but it is not love and not even sympathy upon which society is based in mankind it is the conscience and uh be it only at the stage of instinct of human solidarity uh it is the unconscious recognition of the force that is borrowed uh by each man from the practice of mutual aid of the close dependency of everyone's happiness upon the happiness of all uh and again like you, you can see it in that last sentence. It's uh, it's a fancy way of dressing up like, hey, we got to take care of one another. Um, right. You know, clearly our political structures are not going to do that. Our social structures are gonna, are not going to do that. Uh, and so we have to build those political and social structures ourselves to make sure that we take care of our own. Um, so it's about solidarity. It's about reciprocity, kind of thing like that. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, so, you know, Stig is like a really political space or you know the the message that you guys put out is usually a a political or social commentary message 
um, whether it's in your music or your band giving back to charity events. You've wrote hardcore anthems to shed light on some of the injustices in the States, including, you know, bringing you down that supported the Occupy Wall Street movement back in 2011. Um, do you find that that translates well overseas? Um, the You know, the band I work for, Grandson, is kind of the same way where like, it is a lot of these messages that are meant for this market. But when we tour overseas, it's kind of the same. We find that kids a- attach themselves to the the message the same way that they do over here. Um, do you guys find a lot of that when you go overseas? We're all getting, sh- we're all getting shat on the same. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, it's yeah. kind of like what you just said. We're all people. And like, that's something I'm finding through all of this is like, I never liked politics in the first place. So like, whenever people are like, oh, like Republican, Democrat, like either side of it, I'm just like, can we just be humans and talk about it from a human standpoint? And, you know, like what are our human needs, not what are our capitalistic needs, you know? Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, political uh, categorizations uh, are used to uh, intentionally divide people. Right. Uh, And it's it's to rob us that of that kind of like universal humanity. Um, But what I will say on that is, uh, you know, usually typically uh, in in my experience, the person that you meet that says, uh, I'm not Republican, I'm not Democrat on this. um, Oh, you're Republican. Like you you are you typically you are a conservative because the next sentence that they say uh, will be some sort of like reactionary backward kind of thing. uh, And in no way is uh, like actually helping to the progression of humanity. (laughs) So uh, and that's just my personal anecdote. That's just a funny little story um, that that I like to tell with that. But uh, what I will say about what Stitcher Guns writes about um, and while it is like, you know, from the perspective of like an American, because Jesse's the person writing all the lyrics, um, there is an element of that kind of like universal um, in it uh, that, that people can relate to. Um, but it's not so watered down that it's meaningless um, or it's like totally abstract. You know, it's still attached to like real, real material events um, that, you know, Jesse can point to. It's like, OK, well, I wrote this about this. I wrote this about this. You know, it's not just like these like meaningless platitudes of like brotherhood uh good stuff be nice you know kind of thing like that right um but what i will say is like i think actually stig's uh political message is uh one of the contributing factors as to why uh, our band does so well in europe because uh europe is uh aware that everything is political uh, when you talk to people, politics are a part of their everyday life, and it's not this taboo thing that you don't want to bring up at dinner because you don't want to upset people. Um, and uh, especially in Germany, um, I mean, if you look at the bands that, like, I guess really took off in Germany that, uh, like, surprise some Americans, uh, like, boy, that's fire. Ignite. Stick to your guns. Like, that's that's our bread and butter. Like, we are politically charged kind of punk hardcore bands, and... Uh, there is uh, there is something that people connect with um, and they can relate to and they appreciate about that message, about taking firm political stances, having like, you know, political convictions. Um, and uh, yeah, it it, uh, it clearly translates to that audience. So, yeah, I want to kind of turn back the clock a little bit as we're kind of winding down the interview here. But <clears throat> can you kind of talk a little bit about the headspace you guys were in when you released Better Ash Than Dust? I mean, that song 
specifically that song was extremely impactful to me as a Stig fan, a longtime Stig fan. Um, I mean, it came at a really raw time. I mean, the rise of Donald Trump was taking grip. School shootings were kind of running rampant in our country. Shit was really fucking hitting the fan. And I remember watching that music video and I watched it while I was at work. I, I worked this really shitty nine to five job in Omaha before I, uh, before I got fired. Uh, and I remember sitting there watching it at my desk and I started crying. It was it's a very raw music video, but I just I'd love to pick your brain about like what your headspace was like when when that was released. Yeah. Um, so we actually Jesse and I sat down for one of the episodes on Against the Mall, uh, and it's not specifically about that video, uh, but it kind of like walks people through like the evolution of Stig's political ideology. Uh, and uh, Better Ash Than Dust comes at a time again where we are. Um, lost uh i guess uh in terms of like how we want to uh how we want to think about our politics uh and that's not to say like you know we were uh, fucking i don't know reading milton friedman or some shit and we're like oh these right these right wingers got a good point and i don't know what i believe it's like no we knew we we knew where we wanted to align ourselves but i guess we like lacked the tools uh to be able to like articulate that you know it's like yes i'm against I, I, I like, you know, like this is just a case in point. Like for instance, for me, it's like I got politicized during the Iraq war. It's like, I'm against the war. I'm against an unjust war. I'm against, you know, and as this evolves, it's like, okay, well I'm against like these wars that are imperialist. Uh, okay. Well, why are these, these things, you know? And it's like, you, it was this process of like peeling back layers of the onion to kind of get to the core to figure out like, oh, okay, here's the germination of this and here's and here's where this starts and here's how it evolves. And, you know, this is a process of like kind of like deprogramming yourself of like all this fucked up things, like these fucked up like propagandized things that get implanted into your brain through like our education system uh, or like, you know, your fucking uncles and your parents, you know? And so it's uh, it's this lifelong process of you trying to kind of like figure that out. And I guess like... Uh, synthesize uh, a, a sort of like coherent political belief. So anyways, uh, better ask than dust. We get in the studio. It's uh, during the 2016 primaries, uh, during the 2016 sort of lead up to the election, right? Like you said, you kind of painted the picture of where, where we were at societally, you know, living, uh, I guess like living amongst a state of like rot and decay. Um, and uh, w- people were becoming just desensitized to it. Um, and it's not that, uh, you know, the fascist line would be that like, well, the society is degrading and we need to purify it. Uh, and that's not the line. Uh, it's like, that's not the line to take for us. It's like, look at all of these like fucking systemic injustices or, um, just uh, like frayed social relations that we have. Like, how do we fix these things? How do we connect with one another? How do we like reclaim our humanity? Um, And uh, I guess Better Ash Than Dust is kind of this manifesto where it's like saying like, I refuse to become desensitized to this reality. Um, And I will, uh, I I, I, I will live uh, with the conviction that I will change this reality, um, for all of humanity. Um, and we will do so together. So, uh, that's a roundabout way of kind of like laying out what that is. Um, but I feel like it's, uh, that, that EP in general is stick to your guns. Um, how best to say it? It's like, it's 
stick to your guns, um, really, I guess, drawing a line in the sand, you know, for, for, for our band. So, yeah, yeah. Making it clear where you stand. Right. Yeah. Oh man, dude. I mean that song, I mean, better if I could pick like a Stig, like set list, like that song would be at the top and so would bringing you down and like those, (laughs) whether you know it or not, those are like hardcore anthems, like, aimed at social injustice that have really been like the soundtrack to like getting people like in the hardcore scene like focused on the serious injustices that are not only here in the states but around the world i guess so crazy shit man thank you for shedding light on that it's it's always so fun to kind of pick your brain politically i i slide into your dms probably too often and i, I i'll try, try to restrain myself going no, forward DM, but... <laughs> dms are always open i mean th- this is like legitimately uh and i don't want to make it a hobby because um you know again we're supposed to change people's material realities but like this is legitimately something i love doing um yeah. you know is is talking talking shop you know yeah. talking different theories talking yeah. different tactics you know well um, let's let's get away from uh, some political talk and we'll kind of wrap up here i'm gonna do a couple quick hitting questions that i kind of just thought up this, this morning while i was like thinking about this interview so <clears throat> first question green day alkaline trio or anti-flag secret show which one would you rather go to if you uh, had to go to one Okay, well, if I had a DeLorean, uh, it would be a <laughs> it would be a Green Day secret show uh, in go. in like you know ninety four. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Probably still Green Day. Um, yeah. I just you know the last couple records haven't been for me. Uh, I like I will say like I think Uno Dos and Trey. Um, if they they suffer from like white album syndrome where it's like, it's too many songs. If you just picked the best green day songs and just made one record, it would be a good green day record. But now it's kind of a slog and you're going through three records and I legitimately haven't even listened to the new record. I hated this single (laughs) so much, but it's like, dude, you're talking to like green day stand number one. I I was like 21st century breakdown. Let's fucking go. I love it. 21 guns. Fuck it. You sing falsetto. I don't give a shit. This rules. (laughs) Uh, uh, and then they lost me. So if they lost me, they, they, I think they lost a lot of people. <laughs> All right. From the, from the past podcast, we've been asking people what their favorite gas stop on tour is. Are you a QT man like us in the Midwest or you have a favorite elsewhere? You know, I love stocking, stopping in QT. Um, and especially cause like the new stores are like fucking insane. Uh, they're really trying to compete with like the sheets and the Wawa's, you know? Um, right. Yeah. It's not working though, dude. I don't know when the last time you went to a QT was, been... but if you order something from one of those fucking little kitchen things, it takes little about, kiosk. Fif- it takes about 15 minutes for that shit to come out and it's, and it's terrible. So they're kind of falling in my ranks, but still my favorite gas station. Their stuff. knockoff blizzard though is heat is all. I'm yes. Gonna say. That's I mean, my go-to there. Uh, lots of good snacks there. Um, do enjoy the QT. I think it's more so wrapped up in nostalgia though. Uh, I think honestly sheets, you, you can't beat sheets, uh, Bucky's for the novelty, uh, but sheets because it's like, Oh, I'm going to actually get a meal that I'm going to enjoy here. Right. All things considered because I'm ordering from a gas station. So, (laughs) all right. So you, you taught me this trick when I was a kid the the laminate pass trick to get into any show you ever want to get into you just flash your laminate i've used that a couple times to get into <laughs> vip spots it shows what i is, tried it for the first time in nebraska 
Yeah, I know. I remember we booked the show. You walked up and saw Saves the Day that day. You just walked in like you fucking owned the place. You just just put a phone up to your ear and you just flash a pass and anyone will let you in anywhere. All right. You aren't supposed to share this stuff with people, by the way. As somebody who has to deal with security a lot of concerts, we're not supposed to tell people that it's that easy to get in. Yeah, I debated on saying it, but what's your favorite show that you snuck into using that trick? I mean, the I guess the irony is that that's the only show that I did that at. <laughs> oh man! So, Dude, I, here I, got, so I got like side stage for Blink One Eighty Two last summer doing that, like using that trick. Man, it really, it's really, I've gotten some miles with it. <laughs> yeah, that's the only one that I've done it at. Um, so that I guess. But I here's what I'll say is like, if you are somebody who's doing that, don't be a fucking idiot with it and don't like you know put yourself in a position where you're like gonna fuck up the show or something like that just like enjoy it from where you can get in yeah just like stand side stage sip your beer or water whatever you have and just shut up (laughs) yeah (laughs) my move is i just have a flashlight and like uh you know leatherman on my belt and that'll get you anywhere you don't even need to pass if you just look like me and have a flashlight you can get pretty much anywhere (laughs) that's a that's a universally recognized symbol of authority uh (laughs) amongst that man has a flashlight get out of his way whoa that guy's got a letterman oh a leatherman (laughs) fuck fuck Uh, open the door open the door (laughs) oh man if you weren't in stig what do you think you'd be doing right now probably this uh honestly (laughs) being being in school um I don't know. Like, I I never had a plan B. Um, I was always like gonna put everything in plan in uh, in put all my eggs in that basket. You know, plan A is the way to go, and uh, fuck it if uh, something falls through, um, which is for sure uh, only something that you can um, do if you grow up uh, in a an extremely privileged position. Uh, it's not that I grew up, uh, you know, fucking Richie Rich, but the fact that my parents were, you know, supportive of me uh, being in bands and helping me, you know, get gear um, and, you know, having the 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 expendable income like that is is something it's it's again, it's a privilege that is uh, awarded only to uh, to to people who are it. It's a circumstance that's awarded to only people who grow up with that privilege. Um uh, that's not just, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. You can cut all that shit out. <laughs> Anyways, um, I, I just wanted to acknowledge like, you know, it's not like, that's not smart of me to, yeah. to have done that. You know, I, I don't think that. Do you think also though, like I've heard the argument that like good artists, like the ones that make it and the ones that like go through that struggle. Cause it's not like, you know, like you said, you had some support from your parents and stuff, but you weren't, it's not like they were paying for everything when you're on the road. They weren't paying right. for like your tours or your bus or whatever. Like having that grind and having it be the only option gives you only one outcome to look for. Like when yep. you have that fallback, not to say it's not nice to have a fallback, but it, it's just like, oh, well, you know, in the back of your head, if this doesn't work out, I have this. Yeah, but it's, not when nice, it's, the it's only not nice thing, to have like, a fallback during a global pandemic. <laughs> yeah, right. It would be really yeah. nice to have a fallback. Right? I, it's, yeah. I, I, it's a long way of me saying, like, you know, you can cruise without a safety net um, yeah. only yeah. insofar as maybe your life... Um, kind of gives you a subconscious safety net. I'll say that. It's like, you know, I maybe didn't develop a plan B, um, not because, you know, my parents explicitly said, uh, like, oh, well, we'll always be there to help you out kind of thing, um, because that definitely wasn't the case. Uh, <laughs> that definitely wasn't the case when I left school uh, in 2008 um, to join Stick to Your Guns. Um, but 
what what I will say is, uh, you know, there there might be subconscious lingering aspects of that, right? That that allows people to get that kind of unearned confidence uh, in in pursuing like an artistic goal. Um, these days, at least, um, because it seems that, you know, anyone uh, <laughs> that those are the only people who can uh, afford to make art these days are the people that are afforded privileges uh, where they can uh, do things outside of just trying to work to uh, <laughs> to fund their existence. Um, so yeah. that's a whole can of worms right there. But anyways, uh, what, I, what I will say is I, I, I probably would have gone to school. Um, I don't know what I would have done with school. Um, I'm very glad that I'm coming back to school as kind of an adult learner, uh, and, uh, I'm more focused, I'm more driven, um, and I know what I want out of school. Uh, I don't necessarily have a career path outlined with what I might do, um, you know, should touring not be in the cards in the future. Uh, but, um, yeah, school for sure. Nice. So what are you currently spinning? What, what, what tunes should we be looking out for? Anything new? Oh Jesus! Uh, <laughs> and tack, tack on to that most anticipated record of this year. Well, this is the funny thing about school is I feel like my Spotify is so fucked up because it's just lo-fi beats to study to and classical <laughs> jazz. It's just like I right, like yeah. I have like Muzak, you know, just it's like noise in the background. Your Spotify Wrapped for this year is going to be fucked. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. Um, so it really is just like noise in the background. Um, and anymore, I feel like the music that I go uh, and actually listen to, it's like me going back and listening to records. Uh, similar to like, I guess, what a lot of people are doing in the pandemic. It's kind of like comfort food, you know? Yeah. Um, where people are rewatching their favorite movies, their favorite TV shows, revisiting their favorite records. Um, so it's like, dude, I have been like doing a like an academic approach to listening to fucking Pinkerton like <laughs> like I'm talking like I'm about to write a fucking thesis on like the deluxe edition of Pinkerton uh or fucking uh or or even the blue album you know um Hell so yeah. um but in terms of like new music uh, I mean I'm very excited for people to hear the new stick to your guns record not to you know again pump my own tires um but I'm so stoked for people to hear it. It is definitively the best Stick to Your Guns record. Um, and I say that being a Stick to Your Guns fan, not just being in Stick to Your Guns. Uh, so uh, people are going to be fucking so stoked to hear it. Uh, but I mean, other than that, uh, fuck, I don't know. Is Angel Dust putting out a record this year? That's usually that's, <laughs> that's, that's usually my go-to. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. I mean, you're talking to two unashamed, like longtime Stig fans. So, I mean, we're, yeah, we're, literally, we're, yeah, we're really excited to listen to it as well. Yesterday yeah. I had that nostalgia trip moment of like, I was about to do like a two hour drive. I was like, what do I put on? And I was like, well, we're interviewing George tomorrow. Like might as well just go through their whole catalog. <laughs> just oh, yesterday, nice. like, yeah, powered through, yeah. like four albums. And it's just like, I couldn't turn the fucking volume up enough. Like I kept finding <laughs> myself like, like a, just jam would come out and be like, Oh yeah. And I reached to turn it up. It's like all the way up. Right. Damn it. Like, so sick. I need to get in front of like a hundred thousand Watts again sometime soon. But I yeah. always, <laughs> I always have major flashbacks when I listen to the hope division or diamond of all of those shows that you guys played back in the day. But, at the commons and or at Sokol, wherever it was in, in Omaha in general, those were some of the best shows ever. So 
Well, George, yeah, I want to wrap it up, man. I know you got to get on for the rest of your day, so let's uh, let's cut it there. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for chatting. We'd love to love to do it again, maybe in a year or so when we're all maybe back out on tour. I mean, maybe we'll maybe we can do one in person sometime. Yeah, maybe be, IRL. Be, yeah, that'd be hopefully. I, mean, I don't I don't remember what that feels like anymore. So, <laughs> no, I've been taking the quarantine extremely seriously. Haven't yeah. been outside of a house since March. Jeez, Dude, so. that's. Are, are you doing Instacart on all your groceries? And Yep. Getting it, all the groceries delivered. The two trips fuck, that we've done yeah. outside the house uh, was a COVID test. Uh, when we thought one of us had COVID, um, we thought we might have gotten it off of a surface uh, randomly. Um, God, and that, that was in June. And then we got flu shots in September. Jesus. That's it. Yeah. I, yeah. So, I got I got my first I got my first flu shot in like 10 years this year. So I'm real I'm shining on, hours over here. Yeah. So all right. Well, George, thanks again, man. Thanks for coming on. We'll wrap it there. Uh find us on social media, guys. You can get us at Left Off Pod on Twitter. And then I have no idea what the fuck our Instagram is. I'll edit it in later. <laughs> but George, thanks again, man. We'll uh we'll catch up here soon. And that's our show. If you like what you heard on this episode and want to hear more, be sure to like and subscribe to our pages. You can find us on Apple, Google, and Amazon Podcasts, as well as Spotify. You can also find us on social media, too, at Left Off Pod on Twitter. And just simply search our name on Facebook or Instagram, the Where We Left Off Podcast. See you next time.